Joining us today on the enemies list is Jeff Tubin. Jeff is an author, an attorney, uh, and a, has a absolutely troubling, dark, brilliant new book called Homegrown, Timothy McVeigh and the Rise of Right-Wing Extremism. And for those of you who are too young to remember Tim McVeigh, and I, I find myself as I approach 60, wondering how people can't know this story. There was also maintained what was called an enemies list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Jeff, tell us about who Tim McVeigh was and tell us about why his attack on the federal, the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City represented a really dark turning point in a, in what has been a rising and it has continued to rise tide of American violence on the far right. Um, uh, Rick, you know, I, I, I suffer from the same uh, issue of, uh, you know, sometimes assuming um, that people are my same advanced age, uh, which is which is not the case. So let's just not bury the lead. On April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh set off a truck bomb outside the Alfred P. Murrah building in Oklahoma City, and uh, he killed 168 people, including 19 children. I think many people remember that there was a daycare center on the second floor of, uh, of that building, mm -hmm. and most of the children there were, were killed. Um, and um, most of the people, many people also remember that um, he set off the bomb uh, because it was the second anniversary of um, the FBI's disastrous raid on uh, the Waco compound of the right. Branch Davidians, um, where 78 people were killed. Um, the story of Homegrown is who McVeigh is or was and uh, how he came to uh, decide to bomb the Murrah building. But just as importantly, to identify the political DNA that McVeigh represents and to demonstrate how that DNA has has continued to thrive and grow, right. uh, including especially on uh, January 6, 2021, uh, when McVeigh, I argue, um, attacked the Capitol. You know, I think that I think that that the part of what uh, I found compelling about the book was it does show folks that arc, and and while while there was plenty of right wing violence in America before Waco, Waco catalyzed a generation of McVeighs in a way that was at the very dawn of the penetration of the internet uh, in terms of of being a, a platform where people shared hate or, or propaganda. Tell us about how McVeigh became radicalized. The process then, and, and I, then I want to compare it to how the process works today in terms of radicalization, which is um, much more less frictional. <laughs> well, less frictional is is is, is well said. Um, McVeigh came from a troubled but hardly extraordinary background outside Buffalo, New York. His father worked for thirty years at a GM plant there. His grandfather worked mm -hmm. for thirty years at the same GM plant, and McVeigh grew up knowing 
that 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 GM plant was disappearing, that the jobs in the industrial Northeast uh, were, were declining and his his parents marriage was was troubled. He looked spent his life looking for scapegoats for why his life just went wrong. Um, mm-hmm. When he was still a teenager, he um, from the back of an ad in the National um, Rifle Association's magazine, he bought a novel called The Turner Diaries, this right. terribly dysto- <laughs> dystopic novel about how the f- evil federal government had been taken over by blacks and Jews mm-hmm. and a heroic figure named um, Earl Turner um, set off a truck bomb outside the FBI building, uh, which right. galvanized a counter-revolution that um, most importantly restored individuals' rights to bear firearms. You know, you you cannot talk about Tim McVeigh's story without his obsession with gun rights and, and, and the Second Amendment. Right. After he graduated from high school, he never sort of found found his feet. He worked for a security guard. He went into the army um, and he was actually quite a successful soldier. Um, he won a bronze star in the first first Gulf War. But after the Gulf War, he uh, failed out of special forces, the Green Beret training program. And his life at that point really deteriorated. That con- that coincided with Bill Clinton's election as president, whom McVeigh uh, focused many of his resentments on. Um, right. <laughs> you know, many people, as you know, I said, associate McVeigh with the Waco rage, but it, he was just as outraged by something that happened six months earlier, which was Bill Mc, Bill um, Clinton signing the assault weapons ban. That mm-hmm. gun regulation, modest as it was, was the final trigger that led him to try to duplicate the feat of um, Earl Turner in setting off a truck bomb. And if I can just you know add one more point, McVeigh during this period became a devoted Rush Limbaugh ditto head. And the rage right. that coursed through the Limbaugh broadcasts um, was also a motivating factor for, uh, for McVeigh. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think that, you know, we look at, we look at, the radicalization today, uh, and it's, you know, 99% of it's online, but back at that point, there was, there were people like Rush Limbaugh and a bunch of these other, even more insane right-wing radio talk show hosts that were out there, you know, and it was every day, the blacks and the Jews are taking more of your life, your pride, your job, blah, 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 feeding that, that resentment. And, and McVeigh was exactly the demographic that made Rush Limbaugh uh, an extraordinary success because there were a ton of pissed off lost white boys out there who really wanted a simple, cohesive explanation for why their lives weren't great you know, wh- and why the world was changing. Wh- one of the conventional descriptions of, uh, of McVeigh over the years has been that he was anti-government and a lone wolf. Both of them are incorrect. He was not anti-government. He was Mm -hmm. anti-Bill Clinton's federal government. He was not a lone wolf. He was part of the the right-wing reaction uh, to Clinton in the mid-90s. But as you point out, the key difference between McVeigh in the 90s and his heirs today is that McVeigh, as he once said to his lawyers, I know there's an army out there, but I couldn't find them. 
he didn't have the internet. He didn't have um, any efficient means of finding like-minded souls. He went to gun shows, which was probably the right. best um, way he could approximate um, a, a, a friendly group, but he didn't have the means or the, the charisma or the talent to recruit people. And, you know, one of the points I make in Homegrown is that this was not a broader conspiracy, as some have alleged over the years. This was just Terry Nichols, his partner, and, and right. McVeigh. But he tried to do what others were able to do with the advent of the Internet. Right. And, and I think that that, you know, the drifting around to gun shows selling anti-government bumper stickers and, and tracks and Turner diary things, it, it seems so retro now, but it really has become, I mean, the, the, the far right and especially the violent far right, they've become very good at activating people and very good at this sort of stochastic constant drumbeat out there to disaffected men, mostly disaffected white men. And so you didn't need to just like, I mean, the Nichols and McVeigh relationship is always one that just, they were sort of just two sort of random drifting guys drifting through life who were not happy and had bad and had, you know, semi, semi crappy lives. But now it's algorithmically driven. Now it's just the same, the same thing that feeds people what they want to see, whether it's, you know, K-pop bands or or boxing or cute cat videos on TikTok and, and other platforms, it now also feeds a generation of hundreds of thousands of white supremacists exactly the garbage they want to eat every day. Um, and it's it, it seems like they've gotten so good at it. And I don't think that either the federal government or institutions have yet built up a sort of immune response to it. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo, modern management made simple. Well, Rick, you know, I, I agree with that. Uh, but but just, you know, why what prompted me to write this book at this time? You know, I covered the McVeigh and Nichols trials back in 1997. Mm -hmm. But what really sent me back to this story was October of 2020, when, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners will recall, the FBI brought down the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer in Michigan. Right, right. I. And, and, and I started looking into that story and those people, um, were, um, affiliated with the Michigan militia. I right. knew from covering the, um, the, the Oklahoma city bombing that Terry Nichols, the co-defendant was from Michigan and was affiliated with the Michigan militia. So I said to myself, I know these people, I know what they think, but the difference is that the, the, the Whitmer plot was, advance using Facebook private chat rooms, something right. that McVeigh and Nichols had no access to in 1995. They couldn't imagine. They couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine it. it in 1995. But it was almost a perfect distillation of what had changed and what had not changed in, in uh, 25 years. And over that arc of time, you know, we've seen, and I, I think 
I, I think in in many ways, January sixth was a worse rallying cry than than Waco or Ruby Ridge for a lot of these people because now some of them have a media apparatus around them that portrays people who were engaged in what I, I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm an, an act of domestic terrorism. Um, they're now being treated as heroes. I mean, there were not a lot of people who were publicly out cheering, yay, Tim McVeigh. Now there are people who say, yeah, the guy that tried to, you know, the, the, the people that tried to storm the Capitol and kill members of Congress and kill Mike Pence, they're heroes. Well, and it is not just people who are saying this. It mm-hmm. is the leading candidate for the Republican nomination for president, you know, who is now at his rallies playing music, you know, songs sung by January 6th convicts. Um, right. You know, you, you mentioned Waco and, and the the, um, the the symbolic resonance that Waco has had for the right <laughs> wing over the decades. Where does Donald Trump hold his first rally after uh, after uh, declaring his candidacy? It, it's Waco. I don't think that was a coincidence. And, oh, no, I don't think so. Either. And, and and just the 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 um, the, the the normalization of um violent rhetoric and violence itself is really one of the most shocking aspects of, of what's gone on here. I mean, and, and, you know, look, you, 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 have, you, you live this story, but, you know, after January 6th, you know, there, there was widespread outrage and Kevin McCarthy was outraged and, 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 sure. and uh, Mitch McConnell was outraged. And what we have seen over the next two <laughs> years is, well, you know, it's not it wasn't so outrageous after all, you know, and, and Donald Trump is being welcomed back into the Republican Party as its leader. And it just shows how um, the violence can become normalized. I do think one of the things that, again, I wish it had, I wish it had fully been in the Internet age because the trial of McVeigh, um, which you've, you know, I, I which I thought I, I you know, look. I'm a fairly well-read guy. I had not really ever paid attention to the trial and conviction of McVeigh. And this, the history you, you, you roll out here, it's of, of how the, the judicial system had to face up to this. Tell us about from the, from the end of the bombing to the moment they uh, put him on the gurney to execute him. How did that trial process through and what does it mean for for the, like the legal system when we confront this this sort of attacks these sort of attacks and violence today well and and you know th- this is mm-hmm. this is a very difficult problem for the, for the legal system because fortunately we live in a country where um, the First Amendment uh, provides robust pr- protection for uh, th- the expression of views even if they are repellent. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, we can't have the FBI investigating every person who says something that is outside the norm. However, right. you know what what is clear that we need is aggressive law enforcement uh, monitoring things like the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer before she was kidnapped. I mean, and and right. um, how to draw the line in terms of you know, investigating without disrupting First Amendment activity. I don't pretend that that, that that's an easy task. But just going to, um, you know, your question about how this story unfolded, um, you know, the 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 FBI can be justly proud of how quickly the they identified McVeigh as the bomber. Just to to mm-hmm. to foreshorten the story, one one. The, the bomb was incredibly powerful, thousands of pounds of, right. of fertilizer yeah. and, and, and uh, racing fuel. 
um, mm-hmm. it, it projected the axle of the truck, um, the rider truck that he rented, um, a, an entire city block away. Um, the, yep. There was a vehicle identification number on on the on the axle, which led them to a rider truck rental place in Junction City, Kansas, about four hours away. Um, they saw um, that a guy named Robert Kling, fake name, rented it. But they sent mm-hmm. agents all over Junction City and they found that a rider truck renter had stayed at a motel and used the name Tim McVeigh. <clears throat> McVeigh had been arrested um, 90 minutes after the bombing for driving a car without a license. Through a right. weird series of screw ups, he was not released on bail for 48 hours. During those 48 hours, almost to the minute, that's when the FBI identified that Tim McVeigh was the bomber and in custody. So he was never released from the prison, from the, from the little jail in Perry, Oklahoma, where he had been uh, held on this really relatively minor charge. Um, And, and that's how, and, and that's how they caught him. But, you know, the, the FBI had no insight and I frankly can't, you know, there were not many missed opportunities to catch him in advance because there were there was not a lot of there were not a lot of signs other than um, uh, purchases of fuel oil and fertilizer, you know, which in the middle of the country, not, not, not the not the weirdest thing in, in ag country. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, that's why they sell large quantities of fertilizer in Kansas because people need it. Um, mm-hmm. There, there were some people who were curious a- about why he was trying to buy so much racing fuel without a racing car. And uh, arguably there could have been um, more attention to that, but right. that w- that's a lot to ask. And, you know, they, 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 unfortunately, um, no, one, no one tipped off the FBI. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Well, I mean, and and one of his associates, um, I mean, uh, Michael Fortier, um, he was convicted for not tipping off the FBI, which I thought was, I thought that was something that, I mean, I guess he would he get like 12 years or something like that. He did. It was not just, it was not just failing to tip off the FBI. Um, it, it was, a, that, that's a very interesting subplot, the whole Michael Fortier story. Which I did not know by the way. I mean, I knew the name and I knew something about it, but that was, I was fascinated by it. Yeah. That. I, I mean, it, Tim, Timothy McVeigh. Terry Nichols and Michael Fortier met on the first day of basic training um, in uh, in the army. Um, they mm-hmm. stayed in touch, and uh, Fortier was the only person that McVeigh and Nichols confided in about their plans. Now, Fortier never actually took any affirmative steps to help the conspiracy, but but the moral issue about Fortier, which is deeply deeply disturbing, is that. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he never made the single phone call, as did his wife, um, right. to to the FBI to say, you got to stop this guy. Um, now, under American principles of law, failing to act is rarely a crime. 
But mm-hmm. uh, because he had also lied to the FBI, which is which which is a crime, um, his lawyers chose to plead guilty rather than risk being in front of a jury um, on an extremely unsympathetic case on the facts, if not on the law. And he wound up serving about eight or nine years and he's now out. Um, he's been out for many years under with the in the witness protection program because um, he d- right. he did ultimately cooperate against McVeigh uh, and Nichols and gave very incriminating testimony. Everybody's got a morning ritual. Uh, I know I do, and I want to feel like I'm getting my day going. I want to feel like I'm moving, and more than coffee, sometimes it's making sure you're clean, squared away, put together. You can get your day started by upping your shave game with Harry's sleekest razor yet, the Craft Handle. I like to use it because I've got to shave this giant dome of mine every day. So I got to keep it shiny. I have a beard, but I keep my neck clean front and back. Do all the miscellaneous trimming. And the new craft handle, it actually is a lot more precision, at least that I found, with the new grip. I really like it a lot. You'll be getting quality shaving for a really amazing price. For now, they're offering the craft handle starter set for 10 bucks. It's a $17 value. So this is something you really should try. And if you don't like it, it's on them, guys. They stand behind the product. They guarantee it. How can you get a hold of the craft handle, the latest, greatest from Harry's? It's simple. Get it delivered to your door for 10 bucks at harrys.com slash enemies list. That's harrys.com slash enemies list. Right. I think he was, I, I think he wrote something about like that. He, he kind of was the linchpin in some ways because Nichols was not exactly, uh, I've also I've often been curious, like how do these there's there's some weird sense of like right wing gravity that attracts these guys together because the the three of them having all that that army relationship is something now that you know DHS has been warning about for a few years of of there is a there is a through line with some of these folks in, with with some of these folks who are who are involved in right wing violence and white supremacy where they have a, a commonality of having met in the military or having had that behavior either, you know, exposed to them in the military or, or allowed. I mean, McVeigh was, was when he was in the army, I remember reading something about, you know, he was fairly openly racist with African-American soldiers. He he was. And, 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 you know, the, the paradox, the difficulty with all this is that, you know, many of these commonalities are shared by thousands of otherwise law-abiding citizens. Millions of people listen to Rush Limbaugh who were not terrorists. Thousands of people, of course. thousands of people who are, are served as veterans in the army, including some with racial hostility who did not go on to be terrorists. But many Absolutely. terrorists have these these aspects of their background in common. And how you you manage that, how you come up with with um, constitutionally permittable profiles to. Uh, decide whom to investigate. You know, I don't pretend that that's an easy that that that's an easy issue. It's 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 difficult. Yeah, I mean, it it really is. And I I I talked to a senior military official about a year and a half ago about you know there. The, he said, "Listen, Trump is gone, but there was a tone in a lot of the enlisted troops that you know sort of permitted that with in the Trump era. There was a sort of like." Now we can say what we want to say. And a lot of these people were, you know, from the demographic, from the part of the country, the McVeigh, that, that, that disaffected um, part of the country. And it, and it, you know, it's honestly, it's an insult to the military service of 99.999% of the people who serve that, that these folks are, have ended up giving a sense of, of empowerment 
to some of these people who would say, oh, well, my service lets me be what I want to be. I, I was there to defend the white race. No, pal, you were there to defend the Constitution. Right. Well, and, and you know, w- one of the things that, you know, I tried to, you know, be very careful about is just that point. You don't want to disparage veterans, you know, who serve their country in, in, in overwhelming numbers. Um, but it is true that there is a disproportionate number of these uh, extremists who, who are veterans. And, you know, one of the questions that, that I asked, and I didn't, you know, you couldn't get a perfect answer to it. Does the army radicalize these people or are the people who are predisposed this way attracted to the army and go to the army because they get to shoot guns all the time? And, and the answer is it's it, there's some of both. But again, it's very hard right. to evaluate that in advance. Yeah, there there's a certain overlap in that in it, of those right. two circles in the Venn diagram, obviously. So, tell us a little bit more about the trial of McVeigh and the fact that the federal government, which is, they very rarely seek the death penalty in the federal government. Right. I, I mean, it is extraordinarily uncommon. Well, and, and 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 also, what makes McVeigh's trial particularly interesting and relevant is who was the Justice Department official in charge of it. It was Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland, Merrick who Garland. was yep. a sort of an upper mid-level political appointee in the Clinton administration mm-hmm. who was assigned to supervise the the, the trial. Um, you know, again, it, it's hard to keep track of events of relatively recent history to know what was going on in the same time. The bombing was April 19th, 1995. January 1995 was the start of O.J. Simpson's criminal trial. And Garland uh, was deeply offended by the celebrity circus that the O.J. Simpson case became. And that Mm -hmm. prompted him um, to create a trial and an investigation that was very as much low profile as possible. Um, The lawyers did not become famous. The uh, there were not uh, many press conferences. There were not many uh, attempts to call attention to the broader political context of of the case. And I think, you know, Garland and the trial team led by an Illinois lawyer named Joe Hartzler did a very effective job of showing that Tim McVeigh and later Terry Nichols were the people who assembled and set off this bomb. But they did not make an effort to put the case into a broader political context. The person who tried to do that was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton gave a series of very prescient speeches about um, the dangers of the militia. One of the most interesting things I did in reporting Homeground was interview Bill Clinton, who I had been told in the Oval Office on the day of the bombing said, you know, this was not Islamic terrorists. This was the militias. And I said, how did you know that? How could you just assume that? And he said, because I dealt with them for 12 years in Arkansas. And he gave me chapter and verse, which I had no idea about with his experience. Um, But but Garland tried the case a very different way. Garland wanted the case as narrow as possible, as as press averse as possible. And I think while that was understandable in the Oklahoma City context, that was a more question that is a more questionable way to run the Justice Department when you when you're attorney general when there is this huge threat of right-wing extremism and anti-democratic activity that he has been relatively quiet about 
um, at, in, in the bully pulpit of, of the attorney general job. I think that there is a desire on some of the right-wing militia types. They want to be, there are some of them who want to be martyrs. There are some of them who want to be targeted. They want to be, while they love, while they love their freedom on paper, there are, there's a streak of them. Um, and, and I've had some dealings with some idiot far-right militia types in Florida. And when the head of it got sent to jail, he was proud of it. He loved it. He thought that was the best thing for his credibility that had ever happened. Oh, I'll do my seven years and I'll be blah, blah. I, it's the, like the weird incentives of the, of the modern social media and right-wing media environment make some of these people feel like that they're almost heroic. Yeah, but Rick, I mean, um, the thing that, 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 that always baffles me, and again, you, th- this, is, this is what you, where you have to live your life, you have decided to live your life, is there are now a thousand people who have been prosecuted uh, for, mm-hmm. for January mm-hmm. 6th. Um, the one who has not been prosecuted is the guy who inspired it all. The, this the, uh, nothing makes my head explode more than this. Well, Jeff. and and nothing. And, uh, I mean, I can understand why it makes your head explode, but how do those thousand people feel? I mean, that's the thing that is sure. so peculiar to me because, as far as I can tell, there has not been a great backlash against Trump for the fact that you know no. these these people have will either go to prison or have felony records or you know it is a it is not a small thing to be convicted of federal crimes. And thousand people are going to have this on their, you know, carry this around for the rest of their lives. Yet they are still cheering for the guy who has at least so far gotten away scot-free. It's it's baffling to me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. I, I had a conversation with, a, with an intelligence official who said to me, who is a deeply knowledgeable intelligence official, we were talking about this uh, about a year ago, and he said, jihadis don't expect the emir to put on the bomb vest. <laughs> Yes. And the parallel to it, I was just my uh, the parallel to it was so hard and striking. I said, "Oh my God, that's it!" I mean, they 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 it's the same sort of it's the same sort of weirdly cultural cult like adoration of the of the dear leader that you know they they didn't expect Trump to go to jail. Now, you know, he should. I don't think he will, but because I'm I, I've just seen the guy have the luck of the devil over and over again. But it is a fascinating sort of moment in our in our in our political culture where we have a thousand plus people now, and 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 DOJ seems to now be you know moving that ball down the field pretty aggressively, right? Uh, do you think there's going to be any kind of deterrent effect with this? Well, um, I, you know, I I I I I think some people, um, you know, I I I have read some. You know, my book is about the Oklahoma City bombing. <laughs> it's not really. I mean, you know, I have a lengthy epilogue about. Um, the events, including January 6th. Uh, but, right, but right. you know, I do think um, there are people who got swept up in this um, who regret it and whose families regret it. And, and you know, uh, right. um, so, you know, I think it will deter some, but 
um, I, I, you know, with the continuing popularity of Donald Trump in the Republican Party, it obviously has not deterred everyone. Um, and, and, Clear, clearly not sufficiently. No, no, and, and uh, I, I, that that remains one of the the many uh, mysteries of 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 the Trump era. Indeed. Well, Jeffrey Tubin, thank you so very much for joining me today on the Enemies List podcast. Uh, folks, the book is called Homegrown, Timothy McVeigh and the Rise of Right-Wing Extremism. Uh, I, I encourage you to read it. It is, it, is, it is a granular examination of what was really one of the seminal moments in the rise of violent right-wing extremism in this country, and, and it, deserves the, the, it deserves a look. So, Jeff, once again, thank you for coming on the program. And I look forward to talking to you Cheers. again soon. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, sir. Today's entry on the enemies list is Kaylee Campbell Layton. I promise you, until today, I had certainly never heard of her, and you probably haven't either. But Kaylee Campbell Layton is a member of Moms for Liberty. And yesterday, she posted on social media the following. Biden left many military service dogs to die in Kabul after the evacuation. I'm calling for the public execution of this old man, and you can't change my mind. I hope I make the little FBI man in my phone proud. Look, politics is filled with metaphor and military metaphor and aphorisms all the time. We're going to nuke this guy. We're going to take him out. We're going to put a, we're going to put a bullet in this guy. Those are, those are metaphors. Here's one of these people who now feels empowered because the movement of MAGA and Moms for Liberty and its entire sphere around it has diminished the legitimacy in their minds of the presidency of the United States. So they don't, they don't mind calling for his death. They don't mind calling for the execution of this old man. And you can't change my mind. I know, Kaylee, we can't change your mind. I've looked at your Instagram feed. It was a rabbit hole from hell, folks. If you look it up, you will find she's one of the people that goes into Target and screams about the gays. But Kaylee, while we can't change your mind, we can put you on the enemies list. Get your shit together. This has been the enemies list. And if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds, talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious. And more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again. And remember... Whatever you do, stay off the list.